Welcome to another episode of Setting the Tone in the Art Retrospective, the show where we do a chronological breakdown of every episode of our favorite TV medical drama. My name is Elizabeth, and joining me today, as always, are Lauren. Hello. And Daniel. Hey. Today we'll be discussing Season 5, Episode 17, which is titled Sticks and Stones. The episode aired on March 25th, 1999. Lauren, what was going on that week 22 years ago? Uh, first, I'm going to start off with what's going on tonight. I apologize to all of our listeners. This is going to be a weird one. It's going to be a spicy one. Your girl has her moon sickness, and I am all over the place. So please just just bear with me. It's I'm, I'm here, and I'm going to try my best for y'all, but I am maybe 30% here. So let's do this. Would you, uh, would you like to share your pre-recording meal with the class? Uh, yeah, so we had dinner about an hour ago, which is a completely normal dinner. And then for a snack five minutes ago, I made more, myself uh, a tortilla with peanut butter <laughs> and mini marshmallows rolled up in it. So it was like a fluffer nutter to go. That's where I'm at, everybody. And if, and if people don't know what a fluffer nutter is, it's a peanut butter and marshmallow fluff sandwich. And it's one of the greatest things on this planet. <sighs> And I normally find them disgusting, which really clues us into where I'm at right now. Uh, headlines this week. The Supreme Court denies mass murderer and terrorist Timothy McVeigh's last appeal a little under two years after he was found guilty of carrying out the Oklahoma City bombing. McVeigh would not seek any more appeals, paving the way for his execution. The Matrix, a visionary sci-fi movie directed by the Wachowski sisters, starring... Wachowski. Really? Tonight's going to be the night that you're going to... Oh, okay. Excuse you. Let's get to let's get the trans people's names no, right, no. please. Okay, then do you want to do that one? No. <laughs> the Matrix, the visionary sci-fi movie directed by the Wachowski sisters and starring Keanu Reeves, Lawrence Fishburne, Carrie Ann Moss, and Lauren's favorite actor with epilepsy, Hugo Weaving, makes its red carpet debut in Los Angeles, California. Lizzie's life would never be the same. Best movie of all time. To me, are uh, to me, fine. It's also a huge trans allegory, which I'll go. I can go into more next week. We'll do a bonus considering episode. both directors were trans. Yeah, we'll we'll do a lounge so. episode on it. You can just break down the Matrix. Okay, after after uh, Resurrections comes out mm-hmm. in, a, in a couple weeks. Mm-hmm. Two famous deaths include legendary filmmaker Stanley Kubrick, as well as one of the greatest baseball players of all time, Joe DiMaggio. At the seventy first annual Academy Awards, Shakespeare in Love takes Best Picture, while Gwyneth Paltrow and Ro- Roberto. I have no idea how to pronounce that. Ben- Benini? I'm assuming he sounds Italian. My brain just goes or, Benini. And or... <laughs> I, think it's, I think it's Benini, though. Yeah. I think I have heard his yeah. name before. Yes. And Roberto Benini take Best Actress and Actor, respectively. Ricky Martin's iconic pop song, Live in La Vida Loca, is released. It remains one of the best-selling singles of all time, selling 8 million copies worldwide. My family road trips would never be the same. It, we, we will be talking about it in the final part of the headline section later this year. Mm-hmm. And other number one movies in the last month included Analyze This and 8mm. But Forces of Nature, starring Sandra Bullock and Ben Affleck, debuts and takes the number one spot at the box office. And also has one of the cheesiest looking movie posters it I've ever really seen. It really does. <laughs> it's I, just Sandra Bullock like leaning over... I like, I oh, leaning over Ben Affleck and they're both smiling and oh my god they're they're gonna be in love. I vividly I remember seeing this uh, VHS as a child, and yes, um, and believe by Cher is the number one song for its second week and it is such a bop. Whew, that was a lot. I told you, I told you in the pre-show chat. Mm-hmm. 
That's uh, that's what happens when we take a month off since last episode. It has been a full month of real time uh, since uh, middle of nowhere, uh, which aired, of course, on February 25th. And tonight is March 25th as we are uh, as we're watching. Uh, so it I took a look at the other stuff that was going on around that time. Um, and it seems like the thing that they were getting out of the way of was uh, the March Madness tournament, um, which wasn't on NBC that year. It was on, I believe, CBS. Um, but it that's the only thing I could find that was like a consistent thing that was happening every week they were off. So maybe they were just trying to get out of the way of that. They ran reruns uh, know- every week. While I was going through the headlines to pick out like relevant ones, there was mm-hmm. a bunch of like, oh, the big east title game the biggest the big yeah. 10 title right. game there was a bunch of results from that stuff which i'm assuming led into march madness so yeah and that th- this would be about the time that would be wrapping up so that that tracks why we're getting back on uh, schedule here but uh, at 8 p.m friends uh runs a rerun uh only rerun of the night uh at 8 30 p.m jesse with the new episode finders keepers at 9 p.m frazier with taps at the montana and at 9 30 veronica's closet with veronica's big date uh, you know what the month off was not great for viewership. Uh, we have tumbled a further four million and are down almost a full ten million from Clooney's last episode just two episodes ago. We're down to a paltry, just paltry, putrid twenty six million, twenty six point three to be exact. Well, twenty six point three million. Well, Benton cured racism, so obviously, what that's the main thing people are watching for. The, well, the, all the racists left. You know, they were exactly. like, "Well, this I can't." <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Can't this be isn't a political show. I don't know what you're talking no, about. No, there's never any deeper meaning behind any of these stories. Uh, 26.3 million viewers tuning in. This week's episode is directed by Felix Enriquez Alcala. Uh, he's doing his sixth out of 12. Previous ones of his included Friendly Fire in season four, as well as the uh, absolutely charming Who's Happy Now, that, which this episode kind of has a little bit of mm-hmm. flavors of. Like This one has a little bit of kind of the fun of Who's Happy Now. Uh, and this week's episode is written by Joe Sachs doing his fifth out of 35. Previous one of his from this season was Masquerade. I was going to say, like, the fun of it. But I was like, oh, yeah, Carter has a very different storyline in this episode. Very, yeah, not, not quite the same. Uh, it's not all fun like Who's Happy Now was. It's yeah. a totally normal one. Yes. Uh, but our previously on is brought to us by Benton. And we open, we're back in Chicago. Uh, specifically at Carol's, uh, Carol's house. I, I, I keep forgetting if she has an apartment or a house. Duh. Duh. It's wow. a whole plot point. It's I know. a house. Have I watched the show? Where have I been for the first five, the four and a quarter, four and however the fuck long? I don't even know what I'm doing anymore. <laughs> like it, like Lauren said, it's a very normal one. Um, Carol is tossing and turning. It's 3.15 a.m. Uh, there's a lovely little influx of music. So A plus job, uh, Martin. Uh, and she looks at the phone longingly. Aw. Mm. Then we go over to the ER with Carter talking about his ride-alongs with Doyle. Hey, Doyle, what's up? Um, he is bringing in a crazy lady in a birdcage. This is weird. Yeah. <laughs> this, is <a> <laughs> this is maybe one of the most bizarre uh, patients we have ever seen on the show. Uh, I have no, like, and I'm pretty sure this was her official IMDb credit as well. Birdcage lady. Yeah. Uh, who she is just this named. woman, this woman in a birdcage. Uh, and she is played by actress Peggy Miley, who appeared in stuff like Star Trek Insurrection, Bandits, and a recurring role on Stranger Things. Nice. Uh, j- they ask Jerry to help unload her from the ambulance. And as they're unloading, um, Yosh says, you're threatening her with your gaze. Look away. Look away. 
I love just Yosh. So that was good. the that was such a perfect like drop in. They're just the little banter around unloading her is so good. And, and then, then we, she's pecking at them with her pecking at their hands and like and like making bird noises. Um, and the POV shot from the birdcage mm-hmm. is so good too. Like mm-hmm. I usually do, I usually hate when they do POV shots, but that POV shot from the birdcage, looking out at Jerry and Carter and Yosh, is just mm, chef kiss. Yep. Then we go back over to Carol watching TV on the couch. It looks like it's still nighttime. She stares at her phone and then she picks it up and dials it. Who could she be calling? Scandal. Dominoes. <laughs> that's who i'd be calling i'm sure there's a 24 was, hour pizza joint it just took me a minute because it's like i'm so not used to just seeing phones like that anymore like i was just like wow how far we've come yeah like just i kind of miss the the push button phones sometimes like i kind of like i don't know something about being able to like get that tactile mm-hmm. feedback oh nice. even even push button cell phones yeah yeah like even even t9 button texting Mm-hmm. See, whereas I'm like the golden age was the slide keyboard was the slide out keyboards. Yeah. So that was the best of both worlds. Did, did either one of you ever have this is a very brief and this is extremely off topic and I That's apologize. Fine. But, but but do either one of you uh, remember or did you have one of the brief period of cell phones where it was a touch screen but also had the tactile feedback underneath it was like i think blackberry kind of Me. had the market cornered on them for a little while i had it it was a i think it was a um it was one of the first like droids that came out, yeah. And it was um, it was a big like not quite as big as an iPhone screen, mm-hmm. but it was a big screen on front that was just a basic touch screen, and then I could slide it open, and the in so like I could either do front screen T nine texting, I... or if I slid it open. Oh no, this uh, one was like yeah. this one was like Hold a on. full touch screen, but you could push the screen and you would get uh oh, no, the I... sensation of pressing oh, okay. a, an actual I, button with, the, with like. No, I did not have that then. Sorry. I had the one where it was like the full screen touch. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, And then if I slid it open, it was the full beautiful. Yeah, I had one of those too for a little while. But yeah. Sorry. No, I did not have the tactile one. It was just really, and it didn't last very long, so it must not have been very popular, but it was like a a brief period where it was. Or the screens busted too easy or something. Yeah. And I remember. Oh, sorry. Nice. Yeah. No, it was just a nice in between. I remember for a really long time, too, they also, all the phones had the haptic feedback or whatever for the touch screen, so you mm. couldn't do it super stealthy because you'd feel the little, like, buzzes going off, so I'd be in class texting on my touch screen under the table, like, <laughs> nobody could know what this motion was. And You're totally like, not just masturbating under there. My hand all the way over here? No. You, you have, you could have long, stop, I don't know. Stop. Stop where you're going with that. <laughs> we're, we're not getting into that today. Hi. Mama Lauren is, nope. I um, love you. I love you too. But no masturbation jokes tonight. I was a stealthy texter. Then what are we even doing here? Honestly. <sighs> What's I mean, going on with Carrie and Malik? Yes, please yeah. take us into the next clip. Uh, Carrie and Malik are talking. <laughs> cool. What about? <laughs> Malik wants her to wait for Jerry before examining... Uh, the next patient because Sherry quote loves this kind of stuff and Carrie's not going to wait and the patient is Mr. Cornberg. Corberg. Oh, Mr. Cornberg. Yeah, Cornberg. Okay, sorry, I forgot an N in my uh, listing there. WCW uh, wrestler extraordinaire. I'm sh- by the by the way he talks in this episode. Cornberg, played by actor Niles Allen Stewart, who appeared in movies like Space Cowboys, The Scorpion King, and The Mask. He has 117 credits to his name as an actor and a whopping 154 as a stuntman. 
and as you might imagine, given the not at all creative name of Kornberg, uh, <laughs> this actor was or this character was written with actual wrestling phenomenon at the time, Bill Goldberg, in mind. Huh. Uh, uh, there's quite a bit of the uh, similarities of which you know I know that wrestling is a very niche topic and it particularly pertains only really to the three of us but like particularly at this time like pro wrestling is about as popular as it ever was or maybe will be like 1999 is kind of the peak of wrestling like it, it's it's the it's the closest it ever got to like mainstream popularity like yes that's it's mainstream had, now but it's still kind of a niche thing that's when you had wrestlers like going on david letterman and jay leno right, right. yeah 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 like goldberg it, it, like yeah and and other than maybe you know the Stone Colds and the Rocks of the world who are still to this day kind of household names, Goldberg was probably the closest thing you had to a like bona fide worldwide phenomenon in the wrestling world. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it's what's crazier is that you know like Stone Cold and the Rock, those guys were like guys who had long careers that um, built over time, like they put in the work and whatever. Goldberg was literally a football player that they that they talked into becoming a wrestler and his his whole persona took shape over the course of about this year, like 98, 99 is kind of where his whole like phenomenon takes off. Um, And so it's interesting, a weird like multiverse thing going on here of like, man, if he'd have been able to actually, because originally, like I said, the part was written with him in mind and he was going to do it, but was not able to actually film his part because of scheduling conflicts. So they had to hastily change it to Kornberg. Two things. One, I still need to watch more of Goldberg's stuff. Okay, three things. Two, I am shocked they brought him back this year for WWE. And three, if you could have picked any wrestler for this to actually be in this episode, who would you have wanted? I mean, in hindsight, it, it only makes sense to be The Rock, really. I yeah. mean, the, the Rock has pretty much been one of the few, like, I guess you could make the argument for John Cena, but okay, The Rock has been one of the only, like, bona fide actors to I'm come not, out of wrestling. I'm not talking about who who it would make sense to be. I'm talking about who you'd want it to be. Uh, Which might still know. be The Rock, but... Yeah, I mean, yeah. I don't, like, it, it takes a very specific kind of charisma to translate over from yeah. the, the weird carny world of wrestling into mainstream television. I so feel... The, Diamond Dallas Page. Oh, he oh, would yeah. have been good. Or like, I feel like if Mick Foley were bigger, he could have done yeah. it. Yes, but because Mick, Mick Foley and Jerry would have been a fun combination. Yeah. But I think he actually doesn't have the frame to do like the big strongman pro wrestler that they want for this sequence. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, you're right. It would have almost had to have been Goldberg or um, definitely not Taker. No. Well, yeah, Taker. T- Taker at this time was was peak uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer Taker. Yep. So yep, he yep. definitely would not have been a fit. But, it would have uh, been hysterical. Big show. Oh god. <laughs> uh, yeah. Could yeah. could have could have done it from a physical standpoint. Camera framing sure. would have been a challenge. Yeah. Yes. Well, I mean, they fit but, Jerry in pretty well. But either way, either way, this Goldberg knockoff uh, twisted his knee wrestling. Doing oh look, a Goldberg move, the jackknife powerbomb. Which one's that? Isn't that basically where, like, he, like, super picks someone up and then just slams them yeah, you, down? Yeah. You, it's very hard to, to illustrate in a in a audio format. Gotcha. But basically, you put the guy's head between your legs, you flip him up so that he's facing you, and then with the jackknife version, you basically just drop them on their back, like, immediately. Just, like, flip them up, boom, drop them like a sack of shit. Yeah. It's one of, like, three moves Goldberg did. <laughs> it's not, not really that much of an exaggeration. Yeah. <laughs> 
uh, Malik calls him out. The pro, uh, and Malik just immediately lays into him that pro wrestling is fake and scripted and pisses off Goldberg to the point where I'm just going to call him Goldberg, really. That's, that's basically, yeah. Yeah. Uh, picks him up and spins him around. Uh, and Carrie calls for security and they and then he just he just he lightly slams Malik <laughs> down on the gurdy and they both just start laughing and they fake they faked Carrie out. <laughs> um so you know what this reminded me of? I believe it was Vader when he went overseas to um was it Oh, Kuwait? Yeah, when he went to Kuwait and the guy on the news was like, It's all bullshit, you guys are full of yeah. shit and he fucking did the same thing to him. And got like it caused a legitimate uh, like international incident. He got detained in Kuwait for several days because of that. Yep. And, yeah, but he, that speaking of Vader though, that was another guy who kind of did crossover into television. He did a couple mm-hmm. of guest appearances on Boy Meets World. Oh. Uh, so yeah, that was he also, played he played uh, Ethan Suplee's, uh dad on yep. that show for a few episodes. You're right. Also, I found a Kevin Nash jackknife powerbomb compilation. Kevin Nash would have been a good one, too. Kevin, yeah. Na- I love Kevin yeah. Nash so much, but sorry, sorry, listeners. We're going to no. <laughs> slow down on the wrestling. Yeah, it- it's just it, what I but part of this, the subtlety of the writing of this episode that I like is that how everybody sort of at one point or another, whether it be Malik or Mark a little bit later, particularly amongst the dudes, mm-hmm. everybody does that social thing where they like try to pretend that they're not interested in it yep. or don't or don't know who he is and then they're like oh actually yeah that's really except cool. jerry. like <laughs> yeah like jerry of course is very genuine about it but everybody else tries to play it cool of like oh who's that guy i've never i don't really know anything about wrestling i don't you know like whatever it's it's live action comic books okay like it's just they're, they're superheroes they yeah. can do whatever they want and you know only kind of cripple their bodies for i him. only i only resent you a little bit for accidentally getting me into it last year for, for, I, for I, I resent my fault too I resent well, no, no. 10-year-old me for getting me into uh, it right about this time. Lizzie, you you started to a couple years ago, but Daniel was the one who found the podcasts that did it. Oh, God. Daniel was the one yeah. who got me How To Wrestling and Attitude Era podcast, which was what sealed the deal and actually made me give a shit. Yeah. And remember, folks, wrestling is not fake. It's staged. That's right. There's it's, a very big difference. And, there, and there's a, a very real uh, physical toll that those guys put themselves through. They, mm-hmm. there are not, there's not many old folks wrestlers' homes. Let's put it that way. Like, yeah. they don't usually last very long. It's a miracle. Uh, Mick Foley still has his. Uh, but so we go from there in with the bangs. As we come out of the intro, we see Lucy bringing in a patient, an elderly woman who had uh, a potential seizure. Uh, which, of course, at this point, she's not actively seizing, so no opportunity for Lauren to grade the seizure. Although I think maybe we do see her have one a little we, bit later we on. We do, and I didn't watch it. Okay. I had Lizzie tell me because I was not in a place to be watching a seizure. So. And I will give my grade later on. Fair enough. Uh, she asked for the family to stay with her to translate uh, because they speak Chinese, uh, and it's going to be quite difficult to find an interpreter at 4.30 in the morning, as you might imagine. Uh, the patient's daughter-in-law, question mark, we're not quite yeah. sure at this point, but uh, we'll get confirmation on that in a moment, uh, wants to give her an herbal remedy that makes her, uh, will, quote, make her feel better. And Lucy pushes back, saying, maybe we should wait for some test results first. As you should. Yeah. A uh, whole big bunch of uh, cast notes here, because uh, we, we have a son, a daughter-in-law, and I'm not sure if we actually see her here, but we will see her momentarily, so I'll get her out of the way. Uh, now a, a granddaughter as well. 
the son is the most recognizable of the three. He is played by actor George Chung, who appeared in stuff like Rush Hour, Starsky and Hutch, and Austin Powers 2, The Spy Who Shagged Me. Uh, 203 credits to his name. He is the high water man for this episode. He is very much uh, an Asian. Oh, hey, it's that guy. Very much. In the, uh, what is it, James Hong uh, the uh, guy from Wayne's World uh, and, yes. and, a, and a million other things. He's the other kind of main, uh, oh, hey, it's that guy, Asian actor at this time. Uh, the daughter-in-law is played by actress Elizabeth Sung, who appeared in Tango and Cash, Memoirs of a Geisha, and Hero. Uh, and she, unfortunately, uh, not only for herself, but also for this episode, because she's starting a bit of a pattern here, uh, passed away in 2018. Oh. Uh, we we got a lot of dead folks in this episode, gang, oh, no. and we are, we are going to get to it. Season five has just been cursed. Season five has been rough for Oh Hey, It's That People. Um, granddaughter is played by actress Lydia Look, who appeared in stuff like NCIS Hawaii. Uh, today I learned there was an NCIS Hawaii. Uh, Paper Tiger and the TV series General Hospital. All right. Um, then we go into Bird Woman. Um, her Haldol has finally kicked in and maintenance is coming down to bust open the cage. Carter gets called back onto his ride along and he tries taking some supplies with him, which Carrie just calls out and is like, you better not be stealing those from the ER, my dude. <laughs> Love it. Um, Carrie asks how Kornberg is doing and they find Jerry posing for photos with him and she apologizes for everyone hassling him. It turns out this is not his first injury of this type as she drains his knee of fluid. <laughs> um, yeah, and so we ta- they do touch on, you know, how wrestlers get hurt. It's just part of the job. Um, she says, it seems like a profession for show-offs. And he says, no, really, you know, I want to live on, I live want to live in Montana, farm sugar beets, as Carrie kind of laughs at how ridiculous that sounds. And I just put, okay, Brock Lesnar, which is only funny <laughs> to three of us, but he is infamous for going and just living off in the woods until they decide they need him for another few months and he gets paid millions of dollars and then co- can go back to doing whatever he wants and goes back to his home planet out yeah. in the woods one of yeah. one of genuinely probably the weirdest human beings that has ever lived like apparently his apparently he lives in like rural minnesota and uh, like on a mountain somewhere and literally like does not have a phone like does yeah. not have a phone in his house or a cell phone he uh the the company has like the number of a local bar and they call the bar and they say we need to talk to him and he comes down the mountain comes to the bar picks up the phone talks to them over the phone hangs up and then does his thing like what a weird fucking guy like in 2021 him. you know what good for yeah i'll say good for him that he yeah, has no, the money to live the way the live the live no. his life the way he wants he's to. He's a terrible human being in, in but, several okay. different ways. But then, but then he can be a terrible human being Off away the from grid. society. Right. I would much rather. Yeah. I would much rather all of the terrible human beings in our society live in a mountain in secluded areas away from everyone yeah. else and only come when called. Like yeah. that is what I would. Pre- if all of our terrible people could do that, that would be great. Yeah. So at least he's keeping to himself. Yeah. Oh, yeah. could be worse, folks. Um. Lucy is looking over uh, the Chinese woman's scans. Nero is unlikely to show up at this hour. Um, mom, and it turns out the mom has a tumor in her lung that has spread to her brain, and that's the cause of her seizures. Mm-hmm. And I don't pretend to understand the cultural... Because you see this in a lot of fiction. Mm-hmm. In a lot of fiction related to... I think it's specifically Chinese families. I yeah. think typically, too. yes. But at least Asian families. Um, the son knows that the mom is terminally ill, 
and has chosen not to treat her and chosen also not to tell her that mm. she's sick too so which lucy pushes back on at as i'm not saying i i don't even i like i said i don't know what this well how the cultural norms work in asian families yeah of any sorts but i kind it's loose yeah it's weird it's i mean it's lucy's kind of medical duty to do so she i mean to to push back on it at least at least make the effort to push back on it and you're right like it is something that is sort of a a trope in media uh fictional media like and and most uh, i would say most examples of it they don't even really bother to differentiate you know Mm -hmm. chinese versus japanese versus korean versus you know other types of uh, other uh asian cultures they basically just paint it with the broad like asian family brush Mm -hmm. and don't really dig into the specifics of it i'd be interested to to hear from somebody who is you know of chinese descent you know like how i'm sure these are all comically incorrect and all Mm -hmm. like all if they if they do have any kind of grain of um authenticity to them they're probably horrendously outdated even at this time like even in the 90s i feel like this kind of attitude maybe still existed but it was probably very very limited as as was painfully obvious in last week's episode we are three very white people so please yeah yeah Reach I would, out. I would love to hear, wrong. I would, yeah, I would love to hear from a listener who is either, you know, Chinese themselves or, or has family, has ancestors that come from China. Like, I would love to know kind of how accurate, not only how accurate, because I, again, my suspicion is not very accurate, but I would love to know too, like, what is your feelings about portrayals like this in media? Is it annoying? Is it, do you don't think about it? Is it, you know, like what? how do these sort of portrayals affect you? That's the kind of thing Mm -hmm. that I'm interested in. But in any event, we go from there. Lucy walks out to the ambulance bay where she finds the aforementioned granddaughter. Uh, She's complaining that her parents are too traditional and that she can't reason with them when they're like this. Uh, And Lucy tells her that, you know, grandma likely only has a few months to live. Uh, But the granddaughter says, you know, if she hears about the cancer, uh, she'll lose the will to live. Uh, which Lucy replies, if she's a tough lady, she'd want to fight this. I, I, which we, think, I may have that backwards. No, I think it's both the daughter, and I should have labeled this better, where she says, like, my dad thinks if she hears about the cancer, she'll lose the will to live. But ah, I, I think she's a tough lady. She'd want to fight through this. So I'm sorry. It was just kind of, I was trying to keep up with the conversation. And so I'm trying to get better about marking stuff like that, but. It's fine. Yeah, I mean, um, it's, it's a nice um, change of pace from Lucy. Like, it's actually, I think, a little bit of a growth moment from Lucy to get to see her kind of handle a patient, or or in this case, a patient's family, Mm -hmm. kind of on her own and show a little bit of, like, you know, I I can do this. I can handle this. You know, like, even though it doesn't always go according to plan for her this episode, it at least shows that she's willing to try and that she feels confident enough in her own abilities to, you know, try to manage this one on her own. Yeah. Uh, but from there, we get our next patient of the episode, a Mr. Kingsley, uh, suspected food poisoning after eating some steak tartare. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, he immediately recognizes Mr. Kornberg. Uh, Jerry is trying to roll uh, Kornberg up to radiology so that he can ask him more questions. I love how um, I love how Carrie calls him out on it and is like, what are you doing? Like, And he's like, well, I'm taking him up to radiology. They, you know, What happened to transport? Well, they were backed up. I just figured I would, you know, help, help out. out. <laughs> yeah, like, just, 
All of a sudden, Jerry wants to do more than his job. Yeah, all of a sudden, Jerry's just full of initiative. Um, does a beautiful fake wrestling move and knocks it down a ton of shit. A tier, A tier stuff there. Um, and our Mr. Kingsley here is played by actor Joseph Ruskin, who appeared in stuff like Smoking Aces, Star Trek Insurrection, and The Scorpion King. Uh, 164 credits to his name, uh, and he did pass away in 2013. Two Scorpion King alumni and two Star Trek Insurrection alumni yeah. this episode. A lot Weird. of overlap. But also, it's kind of a good pivot, though, in the like the writing to have a character like this be like, oh, yeah, I recognize you in all your older stuff, mm-hmm. too. Like, instead of, like, if you had someone like Goldberg who'd only wrestled, been wrestling for a, probably a year right at most to be like oh yeah i remember this fight and that fight and that's all you've done right <laughs> yeah i don't know it's i'd be interested to know either a you know how much the the character changed once they knew they weren't going to be able to have the actual goldberg and uh i would be interested to know how they would have treated the actual Goldberg. like would they have tried to stay to as true to what was actually happening for him at the time um or would they have just completely fictionalized his his career and just been like, yeah, you know, remember you were world champion 17 times and blah, 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 whatever, you know, like it just would have been how they would have like zhuzhed up his character would have been interesting. Mm-hmm. And uh, Lucy is with the granddaughter talking to the grandma, Mrs. Fong. Uh, and Lucy's trying to weasel her way into talking about the cancer because the granddaughter's translating. And of course, the one word that the that the grandmother knows is cancer yep womp 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 freaks out um then we go over to carter is out on his ride along and they are calling police back up because there's a huge crowd um tenants are calling for the landlord's comeuppance for him turning the heat off because they didn't pay rent the landlord is who they are trying to get into the ambulance um and he's got a big like laceration on his head and it turns into a damn riot with them all attacking the ambulance and um, trying to, like, rock it to get the guy out. Uh, we then go over to Mrs. Fong seizing, and Lucy and Doyle are called in to assist. Lizzie, how was this one? Because I just did not want to watch it. Hmm? How was the seizure? Oh, um, pretty harmless. It's just a few gentle jerks, just not even, like, on, on, just on the bed. Not even, over, not over the top? Yeah, not over the top at all. Cool. Then we go back to Carter and team waiting for police escort because the mob is now trying to tip the ambulance. And Carter hops in the front seat because one of the guys has blood in his eyes and can't see. And the other one is just trying to tend to the patients. Or there's something like that. He's trapped outside. He's trapped outside. That's what it was. So Carter is driving. Yeah. He can't get in the ambulance without unblocking the doors. Right. So Carter runs over someone. Yeah. Which, to be fair, fuck the landlords. And fuck this landlord in particular. I was going to, yeah, I kind of like called this out and like sent it to the, like sent it to the group chat. Cause I was like, Lizzie's going to particularly enjoy this, uh, this particular plot line. So I leave Carter and the paramedics alone. Just throw them back to the wolves. No, which there, there is a, uh, when we get into the trauma aspect of this in a few minutes, um, there will be a, um, a bit of dialogue that I actually want to address with this that I, I like like I it, it's it shows some some subtlety and some nuance in the writing that in this could have gone a very different way so I want to mm-hmm. recognize them for that but yeah oh fuck Carter runs over someone as he's leaving and they're like keep going you've got to keep going so he hits and runs and then calls 
over the radio and says uh, ambulance versus pedestrian at the scene. Yeah, second second unit. Yep. So. All right, well, on that lovely note, let's go to our first audio clip of the episode. Uh, Carol is taking some headache meds out at the Roche coach and runs to Mark. Morning. Hey, Mark. Another headache? Same as yesterday. Did it ever go away? In the afternoon. Like I said yesterday, you should let me do a CT. I don't need a head CT, Mark. Well, at least let me do a neuro exam. Mark. You have to stop thinking like a doctor. We both know what's causing these headaches. How's your insomnia? It's gone. <sighs> Did you talk to him? No. We both thought it was better not calling for a while, you know? Give it some time. You know, they don't need me to tell you this, but it's, it's okay for you to miss him. Hell, I miss him. I know. I'm okay, though, you know? I, I actually like him in the world. Really? Now I am worried about you. Hmm. Miss Carol Hathaway, you are a dirty fucking liar. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. But it's nice to see Mark and Carol yes. being being close in the absence of uh, the hottest movie star at this time, <laughs> probably. They they do a good job, I think, this episode. Because, you know, obviously last episode was more of a bottle episode type flavor. They were out of the ER. They were focusing on Benton. We, we didn't really have to... Um, think about Doug too much and also too it's important to keep in mind that a full month of real time has gone by as well so the audience has had a chance to kind of process the loss and and move on from here they do I think a good job this episode of touching on it reminding you that that he's still a character that still exists in this world his character didn't die he's just gone off to a a different place he's still obviously going to be affecting Carol's story um, but we're not going to dwell on it and we're not going to like constantly remind you of like, Hey, remember this guy? Like, hey. it's just, we're just going to like kind of, you know, here and there, bring it up and it, it's going to, I don't know. I just think it, they, they struck that balance very, very well. Agreed. But we go from there. Uh, Carter has brought in, uh, the, uh, landlord, Mr. Leonelli, uh, in to carry to treat. Uh, they tell her what happened with the mob. Uh, and they, they, there is a bit of dialogue here. Well, actually, no, I don't think it's here, but I'll talk about it here anyway, just because I'm I'm not going to remember later. Um, when uh, Lars, the other EMT, when he mm-hmm. comes in later, he says, you know, like, you know, they ask him, like, uh, you know, are you okay or whatever? And he says basically something to the effect of, like, yeah, they weren't mad at us. Mm-hmm. Like, they, which, again, like, so often when stuff like this happens in the real world, right. it gets painted as these angry mobs, these angry, irrational mobs that are seemingly just woke up one day and decided to be pissed off and decided to tip over an ambulance and decided to burn something down or mm-hmm. break a window or whatever. And it could be something as simple as the heat getting turned off in their building, or it could be you know a social justice issue uh, you know it could be any number of things and it's important to note that these these actions and these events are not um unprovoked a, yeah they're not in a vacuum yeah they're not unprovoked and they're not irrational and they're not uh indiscriminate you know what i mean like these are this is this is a situation where a group of people had uh, an essential service stripped away from them, something that they literally need in order to live. This is not like they they cut off their pool access; they turned off their heat. Yeah, this is illegal in Chicago, right? They, yeah. they turned off their heat in the middle of the Chicago winter, 
and yeah, they're fucking pissed off. And so it makes it makes all the sense in the world that, you know, they would be pissed off at this one fucking guy who did the thing that they're mad about, but not these other guys. Right. These other guys aren't involved. They're trying to help. So they're just trying to do their job. So I think it, it, in a different show and in a much clumsier um, way of telling this story, they could have just made it out like this. These crazy motherfuckers, you know, they were tipping the ambulance over and I, like these yeah. these people like it could have gone so sideways. And yet they just managed to slip in that one little throwaway piece of dialogue that that reminded you that, hey, no, these are actually reasonable people who reacted in a perfectly reasonable way when something when their basically their lives were threatened Mm -hmm. by this one asshole. Yeah, it's you know, it's just it's good. I like it. Definitely good touch there. But um, so Carter's given uh, Carrie the rundown of what happened. Uh, Carter steps out of the trauma to try to call dispatch and try to find out, uh, you know, if the other unit made it to the scene and whether or not they were able to scoop up the the person who was run over. Uh, in this particular scene, we get Lauren. Whose films are those? It's it back. It's back. You thought we were done. One episode. Um, Carter, <laughs> best boy Carter here. We won't, this doesn't last, but best boy Carter here for at least a moment where he, as this guy's being stitched up and being looked at, Carter actually tries to shame him for uh, his treatment of his tenants. Uh, as he should be. As as he should be. I, I wish Carter kept this amount of spine for the entire episode because he loses it here very soon. Um, but, uh, yeah, tries to shame him for his treatment of tenants. Carrie just kind of, like, pushes him out of the room and is like, yeah, dude, not not now. Like, do this later. Uh, and, yeah. So we will we will definitely circle back much, much more to come with both Carter and Mr. Leonelli. Uh, but for now, let's go back over to the Chinese family. Uh, they aren't sure if uh, Grandma will wake up after the seizure. She may have had also had a stroke during the seizure. And Mr. Fong uh, is asking for a more senior physician. He is not happy with the standard of care that he has been given. And Doyle, to her credit, stands up, stands her ground firmly and says, We've done everything right. We've done absolutely everything right because Mr. Fong is blaming Lucy, saying you did this, you told her, you because she know because she knows about the cancer, she's dying now. Mm-hmm. And wait, what? Yeah, you know what they didn't do right? <laughs> Go ahead, Daniel. Uh, Maggie Doyle stands her ground so firmly that she actually falls through that very same ground into the shadow realm because this scene right here marks the end of Maggie Doyle, the on-screen character. She will be mentioned again because I believe we do get a, uh, a verbal confirmation of what happens to Maggie Doyle. Um, I don't know exactly when that comes up, but it, it, it is coming. We will get that, but in you terms in terms of on-screen appearances, this right here is the end of Maggie Doyle. After how many episodes across three seasons, never once made it into the opening credits. Uh, I'm I, I could not believe this. Like I watched this whole episode and then went to go do my notes and started reading up on it, and I was like, "Holy shit, this is the last episode of Doyle." And then I had to go back and find where in the episode her last appearance is, and it's right here, which is only like 16 minutes or so into the episode, so it's like the first third of the episode, and she is just whew, into the wind, gone forever. Are you fucking kidding me? That is it. That is it for Maggie Doyle. Like I said, it, why it's, do I? Th- it's it's more, it's like one of those things. I forget what we. What character? Delamigo. Yeah, 
I remember there being some confrontation between her and Romano. Uh, and see, I did fired. too. I totally did too. And I think what I'm what I am um, conflating it with is Malucci and Weaver. I think I I think I'm conflating Malucci and Weaver with Doyle and Romano. And you know it's yeah, this is this is bad. I mean, like I said, you know, there will be I, I know for a fact there will be a verbal uh, mention of Doyle and mm-hmm. what happens to her. So I don't know that she necessarily qualifies as a Bob. But she's definitely on that borderline. Like she is. You know what's great? If you don't remember the show, you can't be disappointed, guys. You should try it sometime. <laughs> Live like me. It's yeah. a great ignorance. It, it, is it can still surprise you, even if you've seen it before. Like you can still go, holy shit, that was it? Like that was her whole time on the show? Like pfft, done. Off to be Does, off to Las question. Vegas to be a CSI investigator. I was about to ask if she gets a retrospective, but she's not a credit character, nope. so nope. Nope. Um then we go over to Mr. Kornberg is talking with Mr. Kingsley and Carrie is just kind of watching them interact, which she does a lot through this episode is kind of watching Kornberg from afar and kind of trying to figure him out. Um, just very sweet. He's just such a sweetie and I love him. I'm sorry. Can we just go back to Doyle for one yeah. second? Yes, please do it. What? Is, here's my question. Um, is Doyle the most significant character to never make it into the credits? Yes. Yes. By far. I think so. I think so, too. I think... I would argue she's more significant than Delamico. She was, like, almost there. She should have been in there. She was almost there. Yeah. Especially in her first season. Her first season, like, it's been a, you know, tale... She's actually, like, the first season, she's... She's... I, I would say she warranted a spot in the credits the most. And then that second season, she just, like, fell off the face of the earth and was gone completely. And then this season, it's been a little better. Like, it was, like, here and there we would see her... Um, but they still never really gave her that much to do. Like but she you, was at least here present. Even more. even that yeah. one storyline with Romano, it was like we we were kind of remarking like, yeah, she's been relegated to like second or even third place in her own storyline, and that kind of sucks. But I still didn't expect it to end this abruptly and this kind of unsatisfyingly. <laughs> like it's mm. well, it's okay, Daniel, because the Doyle is dead. Long live the Malooch. <sighs> <laughs> 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 <sighs> I'm sorry. Resume. Resume. Taking us through the episode. Um. So then, uh, Jerry brings in a bunch of boxes that were labeled for Doug. He's not sure where to put them. And Mark's like, "Do we still have a peds? Put them in peds. Just because Doug doesn't work here anymore doesn't mean we can't use the supplies. So, um, they're gonna go put those away. Mark asks Carrie how her graveyard shift went, which is just I love love when the two of them get to chill and not be worrying about Doug ruining their careers uh carter finds out the person he ran over is being brought in and he should not be running that trauma he no. should not be in that room at all he should not be allowed to be anywhere near that patient let alone um what happens in a little bit uh can i just say it here yeah what uh he should not be the one talking to the parent no 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 he should have no medical part of this at all no this is such a conflict of interest get out and I and I feel like it's a failure of both Mark and Carrie for not right separating him from the situation. Like I'm, one of them should have taken the to lead on that and been like, "Yeah, dude, you need to go sit down somewhere. Like you're you're done for the day." In in the words of Nightcrawler, "Gehen Sie aus. Don't no, get out. Don't I'm going to yell it in German. I'm so <laughs> mad. Don't be in there." Ugh. 
So bad. Ha- have, is, have we established a pattern at this point of, of Carter finding his way into traumas he shouldn't be in? Yes. Like, he's in Chase's trauma after the overdose, and he's in this one. and like it's oh, just, He's in a lot of things he shouldn't be. He's a rich white man. Of. He thinks he belongs everywhere. You can go wherever you want if you walk with the confidence of a white man. Um, confidence of a mediocre white man, especially. Yeah, I was going to say, Lord bless everyone with the confidence of a mediocre white man. <laughs> there it is. Uh, so we then go to one of the the odder but also kind of cooler moments of the episode. I don't know. I, I, I'm interested to fe- see how we feel about it as a group. Um, we go to Carol uh, and Jerry bringing the boxes uh, into the PZR. They drop everything off and Jerry goes to leave, but Carol stays in the room. And she kind of has this like, you know, flashback moment i guess it's like this like it's this very strange camera move where like the light gets really dim in the room and the camera does this like kind of slow but also kind of fast pull tight shot on her and there's a name for the move they do and i can't remember what it is they they just pull focus to her very very steadily as the lighting is changing Mm -hmm. like all the background stuff kind of washes away and then eventually you're just looking at carol it's like what they do when uh, Frodo puts on the One Ring. <laughs> Just okay. Well, that was a that was an awful noise. <laughs> but I don't know. Like, what what do we think as a group about that about that shot? Because it's it's by far the most interesting visual thing in this episode, and it's also one of the only times I can think of them actually doing this. It's it's a cool trick. It's a cool visual, but I don't think it adds anything. Yeah, I'm glad they don't rely on it. Yeah. yeah, it's it's the kind of thing. Yeah, I'm I'm glad they don't make a habit out of doing this. I think it kind of works for what they're going for for the purposes they're using it for here. But I'm glad they didn't make this a thing that they went to a lot. Um, but we go from there to Doris bringing in the uh guy that Carter ran over in the ambulance. Uh, as you might imagine, when you get run over by an ambulance, uh, he has a crushed pelvis. Ew. Ow. Uh. And they do make comment in the uh, trauma as they're they're kind of spinning the camera around. They comment that Carter is not supposed to drive. He is it's yeah. a, it's a ride along, not a drive along. Yep. Uh, Mark, Doris, and all all the rest are trying to figure out just what the hell happened that led to the circumstances that led to Carter crushing this guy with an ambulance. Uh, bad times, gang. It's real fucking bad. What happened is they well, let that landlord get what he deserved. I'm so glad, though, that they talk about this because earlier in the episode, I kind of thought, like, Carter shouldn't be driving, right? Like, we've never seen, because I was like, we've never seen the ER doc driving when they're on ride-along. So I'm glad that I had that mental note because then when they said it here, I was like, yes. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Well, let's uh, go to our next audio clip here. Carrie's talking to Jeannie in the lounge. Hey, Jeannie. Good morning. Getting settled back in? Yeah, I'm doing okay. Any side effects from the interferon? Nope. Good. You know, maybe you should do fast track today. Sore throats, sprained ankles, easy stuff. I think I'll stick with triage and paperwork. Okay. Uh, Jeannie, Al called here last night. Did you speak to him? Yeah, he was upset about the message that you left him. He couldn't reach you, so... Yeah. Well, thanks, Carrie, but I can handle this. I know. Just that he sounded concerned. Right, well, I've had every conversation with Al I'll ever need to have. I find out on top of everything else that he's given me hepatitis C, so there's really nothing else to talk about. I 
I gotta cover a meeting for Romano, but do you wanna grab a bite to eat later? No, thanks. I'm having lunch with a friend. Okay. Sure. That timeline does not add up. She would have been sick way before this if he had given her hep C. I do not know the diagnostic or epidemiology or whatever you want to call it of hep C. Yeah, but... you're right. I don't either, but I'm just saying I don't think... I just, I, when I, my initial knee-jerk reaction to that was, he was gone forever ago. She would have found out by now with all the checkups and stuff she has. Maybe. But they don't really include liver ultrasounds. I, I'm so. just saying. Yeah. To me, I, I feel like she, Jeannie being as smart as she was, she would have theoretically gotten it checked out if she was feeling weird and done some extra testing. I just, I felt, I don't know, I just felt like it had been too long. So As, I'm, as we'll see later in the episode too, though, Jeannie's also feeling particularly sorry for herself this episode yeah. and is yeah. and is looking for ways to lash out at the world and is just kind of like, it wouldn't, su- it wouldn't surprise me if she would just attribute this to him just because it would make her feel even just that much better. Yeah. Know? Oh, I'm not, I'm not saying that part's wrong, but I'm just saying like my, my knee jerk reaction being that I know nothing about anything was that the timeline didn't fit. But hey, mention of Al Boulay, even though we're, yeah. we'll never see him again, we're still getting those little drip drip mentions of him that uh, we'll get at least I, we'll, we'll get at least one more, I know, and we may get a couple more. He's off on his home planet of Atlanta. That's fine. Yep. Um, then we go into the, the kid, kid man person that Carter ran over who has a ruptured bladder and an open book fracture of the pelvis, which does not sound like a pelvis, pelvis which does not sound like a great time uh mark says it isn't a good idea for carter to go talk to the father it really isn't but carter insists on doing it anyway and mark says later we need to debrief on what happened so we can figure out how this fucking happened um carter gives the dad an update on the treatment uh and the dad says somebody here sure as hell is going to have to pay for that and then leaves hmm shakes carter's hand yep, yeah shakes carter's hand and leaves I'm 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 going to reserve judgment on this because I I will admit I don't remember what happens with this the rest of the way, but I really desperately hope that there is some sort of mini arc attached to this because if they just leave this after this episode, uh, that's all a whole heck of a lot to just like be like yep Carter ran out like th- this is gonna be one hell of a hanging thread in his storyline. Uh, yep. overall, if if we just have this, like, yeah, remember that time Carter ran over a guy and no nothing happened, like, no consequences ever came of it? Almost did a vehicular mm-hmm. homicide. Yeah, like, because they do sort of hand wave it away at the end where they're like, yeah, the kid's gonna be fine. But still, there's, like, there should be fallout to this. And, like, again, I'll reserve judgment because I don't fully remember exactly where this goes, but I just, suffice to say, I really hope they don't leave it here. Yep. Uh, then we go over to Jeannie, who is working triage with her ortho doctor friend, Dr. Baker. Um, he has prescribed some Vicodin for the patient that they are talking to. And um, he can't find his prescription pad at first. So he has to go find that. If you will mm. recall, we had that episode earlier in the season where we, that was the episode where E-Ray was supposed to come back. And there was like mm-hmm. a couple of things in the episode that got cut for time. Um this was one of the things we talked about was the storyline where uh, Jeannie had a patient that changed the number of pills on a script uh, and that got cut for time. And, but that they yep. reformatted the storyline and changed some things around and moved it to later in the season. Well, now it's bearing fruit. Here it is. Boom. And it still seems just as useless. Yeah. So I would say it still seems kind of still pretty pointless. Yeah. It kind of doesn't really go anywhere. 
All right. Uh, well, Mark asked Jerry who the heck Kornberg is because he looks familiar. And once Jerry says Kornberg, Mark tells Carol that he was the defensive end for the he was a defensive end for the Denver Broncos. Which yeah. uh, which uh, Goldberg, the the source material yeah. for Kornberg here, was also a defensive end, not for the Denver Broncos, but the Atlanta Falcons. Mm. Uh, Mark walks away, and, t- and Jerry totally shits on Mark for not being a wrestling fan. I think Mark is full of shit here. I think Mark is actually knows exactly who this guy is, but is doing yeah. the polite society thing of like, hmm, wrestling, that's a bit, that's for the peasants. Like, I don't like, no, bro. yeah, like he's like, hmm, yeah, football, that's much better. Like, it's like all the head trauma with like 10 times the Budweiser. Like, who the fuck, like, football is not that much better. It's not that much higher brow than pro wrestling. Like, you said 10 times the Budweiser and football, correct? Yeah, for football fans. Like, it's. Have you met Stone Cold Steve Austin? No, but the people in the <laughs> Those crowd. Those are Steve Weisers. Those are Steve yeah. Weisers. Thank okay, you. Okay, excuse me. I'm sorry. <laughs> the, man had, the man has earned his own beer, okay? Uh, but we go from there. We see uh, the ortho doc, uh, Mr. Uh, Doctor Baker, as uh, Lauren mentioned, talking to Jeannie about their upcoming date uh, that we all forgot was supposed to happen. Uh, but Jeannie tells him that she is seeing somebody else, and this here uh, also represents another goodbye. Uh, last appearance of Doctor Baker, second of two. Yeah, he cool. he made no cool. impact whatsoever. Love you. See ya. Bye. Um, we then see Lydia uh, sees that there is an alarm being triggered inside the bathroom and the intercom isn't working. Uh, so she heads down to investigate. Uh, Carrie, Lydia, and Jerry head down there uh, when this is yet another Goldberg trope uh, yeah. uh, foisted onto Kornberg here. Kornberg busts the door open for them with his head uh, and then passes out uh, where they <laughs> I forget who says this where they carry carries says make it two gurneys because they're going to have the, so the patient in the bathroom and Kornberg. So this is another Goldberg thing. Uh, Goldberg, so one of Goldberg's like signature things was that they would um, follow most most wrestlers when they make their entrance camera picks them up at the entrance to the arena and then they follow them to the ring Goldberg. They would pick him up at the door to the locker room. And he would usually be met at the door to the locker room by security guards or cops and they would literally surround him, and then wa- the camera would follow him as he walked to the ring. Well, frequently, they would show the door being shut, it, the, the, the locker room door is shut, and you see the sign that says Goldberg, and then the whole door would just, like, shake, and it was because Homeboy was headbutting the door on the other side of it, and he would frequently come out with, like, a cut on his forehead and, like, blood trickling. So he's bleeding before the match even starts. And then they follow him out to the ring. And so speaking Why? of speaking, because he's a football player, he's psyching himself up. Of it. So um, speaking of previously aforementioned Undertaker, uh, there was the this match that took place in uh, Blood Money Capital of the World, Saudi Arabia, uh, a year or two ago, where mm-hmm. gold, 50-year-old gold, Oldberg <laughs> tried to yes. uh, do his usual shtick and tried to headbutt the door and do his thing. Gave himself a wicked fucking concussion uh, before the match even really got going. Like he was already a yeah. he was already a little bit loopy when the match started, and then I think he hit his head again and made it worse. Uh, mm-hmm. And damn near dropped also old ass Undertaker. Damn near dropped him right on his head and fucking killed him. Like came <gasps> came like within inches of dropping him square on his head and killing him. So uh, yeah. Just thought that was funny that there was so much like 
not just the name, not just the story. Like, there's just so many things in this episode that were so clearly written with this character in mind. It's so funny. Uh, so let me go over to Randy complaining to Jerry that she missed everything cool as Jerry is give, getting ready to leave and telling her everything that's been going on. Um, suddenly, county jail staff is bringing in Mobilage for treatment, and he is exceptionally dehydrated. And uh, Carter go does goes uh, and Carter goes to do the thing that he really shouldn't do and apologizes to Mr. Leonelli about shouting him down in the trauma room. And he's and this the sleaze ball is like, oh no, sweet face do gooder baby doc, this is gonna get under my skin. And now I'll have a nice big scar to show the judge when I take these freeloading bastards to court. What an awful human. Yeah. Yep. Seriously, just. Oh no, the back door. The latch broke. Oh no. He's being carried away. Oh no. Oh no. And nothing of value was lost. Exactly. Uh, But then Carter goes to check on Avery, who is the boy he ran over. Um, We find out he's going to be up and around in a couple of months. Yikes. But he's stable. Uh, Carrie is then talking to Kornberg about you know the status of celebrity and how he deals with it and he's just a big sweetheart mm-hmm. i don't think goldberg would have no been this, this no nice. this this guy is so charismatic and so sweet and just i i love this the, the the way this actor brings this character to life is very sweet and very well done Eat goldberg who famously just looks at people menacingly right most of his vocabulary is grunts like it's hmm. Even in the incredibly limited world of professional wrestling in terms of how acting is required, Goldberg would tend to come up short in most of those ways. So, oh, yeah. So, no, like, if he was, he's a physical, he was a physical specimen, and that was the whole reason yeah. he was popular. Most of his, and, and, like, that was the other thing, too, with him, is that most of his matches were, you know, of the two-minute variety. Like, mo- he would basically, if that. he would basically come in, beat the ever-loving bejesus out of his opponent, and then leave like that was that was essentially his entire shtick and so it, it's it's a fun like thought experiment for me. i think actually i think this episode might be worse if mm-hmm. he was in it versus having this guy who clearly has some acting ability like has some ability to emote you know like it, i don't think it would have worked as well with you know one dimensional one emotion capable goldberg so uh, but we go from there to Mobilage, where Mark uh, is checking on him, finds out that he has not spoken since his first day in jail. If you will recall, back during the storm, we found out that uh, he was, uh, we, we thought, all of us thought, <laughs> that... Uh, we were all fooled. Yeah, that uh, he had stabbed his wife and then in a fit of PTSD rage uh, and was off to jail. Uh, they need his consent to give him fluids, uh, but and no one has, no one at the jail, no one at the the hospital, nobody has given him any uh, update on Kubi's condition. So as far as he knows, she's dead. You know, as far as he's concerned, last time he saw her, she had a knife sticking out of her chest. So um, he's pretty much catatonic. Um, they do let him in on the fact that Kubi is alive uh, and is in a coma. Uh, and he says that he believes uh, Mark tells Mobilaje that he believes he didn't intend to hurt her. So as far as everything's the big revelation has not come yet. We're still under all under the impression that, uh, you know, Mark's still just looking out for his friend here. Then uh, we go back over to Lucy and the Chinese family. Mr. Fong is still asking for another doctor. 
And uh, the grandmother, Mrs. Fong, doesn't remember coming to the hospital after she comes to. And Lucy asks him to tell her that she had a seizure. And turns out she doesn't really she doesn't remember the the cancer word being uttered. Uh, can confirm short term memory is shit right after a seizure. So postictal sometimes like depending on how strong your seizure was and like especially since she's got such invasive brain cancer, this doesn't surprise me at all. Yeah. Um, and Lucy tells her that she has epilepsy. So plays along. Not great. Mm. Though it is always nice to not just hear, oh my god, they're having a seizure, but to actually hear the for the phrase epilepsy. Yeah. I I get that you wanted to have Lucy have a great moment. And this is a good there's this is a good story beat for lucy but this is above her pay grade yeah she absolutely should have had mark or carrie in on this yeah not just doyle yeah yeah r.i.p right Uh, already apparated into the shadow realm doyle who is you know like they basically halfway through the episode just turned this over to lucy entirely uh then Jeannie gets a call from the pharmacy uh as she's dealing with the call reggie shows up to say hi the pharmacy is asking about a prescription because um the prescription for vicodin is showing 40 tablets not the four that was actually written for debbie anderson hmm hmm, hmm. we'll revisit reggie in a little bit and revisit this issue in a little bit but then we go over to mark asking corday about kube's status and as they're talking about that they also are both trying to cure carol's headaches and wondering if it could be carbon monoxide poisoning <laughs> or any other litany of things and it's just very cute you can see they're starting to see like oh these guys kind of kind of work together as far as like setting them up as scene partners because mm-hmm. and it's just it's really nice just good co-worker vibes here yeah is this about the point where they have the uh don't treat me like I have a brain tumor line. Yes. <laughs> Which is kind of yep. mm-hmm. weirdly prophetic. Uh, Foreshadowing. Uh, yep. Yikes. Uh, so as if the Kornberg uh, story could not get any weirder, uh, we now are treated to the first appearance of Kornberg Sr. Uh, who shows up. Kornberg's dad, who is just a delightfully strange man. Uh, he says, my son performed a mitzvah, an act of virtue. Uh, and sounds like the dad uses uh, Kornberg to publicize and bring attention and funds to himself. So maybe not a, maybe not a kind of a, sleaze. kind of a little bit of a sleaze character, but just the actor portraying him portrays him in a very fun way. Um, and he's played by actor Marvin Kaplan, who's kind of an old school. Oh, hey, it's that guy. Uh, he was in stuff like it's a mad, 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 mad world. Try to say that five times fast. Uh, Wild at Heart and The Great Race. Uh, he had 102 credits to his name and continuing the theme of everybody else in this fucking episode, he passed away in 2016. It's not that hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you just gotta separate out the two mad. So, mad, 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 world. Mad, 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 mad. What world. happens next, mad. Lizzie? <laughs> uh, I really just don't want to talk about what happens next because it's one of the most horrifying things I've ever seen on this show. And probably probably will ever see on the oh, show. Oh, I also didn't watch this yeah. one. It was yeah. so bad I couldn't watch this one. Yeah, either. a woman, Marcy, uh, has fallen from her balcony onto a wrought iron fence, and Jesus Christ. <laughs> I'm, I must have blacked out while watching this because I don't remember this. Like, I watched yeah. the episode not two days ago. Or no, not even. It was yesterday. That's, I watched it yesterday. That's okay. I do not remember yeah. this scene. And that's, I woman just... Woman has a... 
piece of just a giant piece of a fence the like the almost basically looks like a giant t going through the bottom of her the bottom of her mouth up through with the with the fence coming out Ugh. of her mouth not piercing her brain so she's still alive but she can't breathe yikes so mark has mark can't intubate her because of all the, all the bleeding that's going on and uh the yeah the fence is through eh. mm. sorry for the gross it was, noises but it was just, so bad yeah um carol runs has a thought and runs to grab something from one of the boxes that doug had ordered and it's a pediatric crate kit and that's what corday uses to save the day okay yeah so now this this i do remember i do remember the the line at the end about you know how you know doug saved one more kid even after he was gone but like this whole part like i said i must have just blacked out during this because like this must have been too traumatic and my brain just was like nope you're not going to internalize this at all because this whole scene sounds like just fantasy land to me i don't remember it at all yeah this is another round of applause to the prosthetics department but jesus christ woof but um, then we go over to Randy, who calls Corday up to the SICU, probably to go check on Kube. Um, Jeannie tells Reggie to arrest the girl that forged the prescription. And he's like, I'm not going to do that. That's just a huge escalation for this. Just write her a prescription for 50, because then she can't, change, she can't change the writing of 5 to 50 without being caught. And she's like, well, just do it anyway. Fuck it. I don't care. She's just real mad at everybody. Tells them they can't go out because she says that she's seeing someone else. Now we know she wasn't just dumping Dr. Baker to be with Reggie. Now we know she is pushing the whole world away. Yikes. Great. I can't remember if it's here or in the earlier scene, but is it where uh, she talks about how they found out that the girl faked it or that, that she changed the prescription because she spelled 40 F-O-U-R-T-Y. Yeah, that's this part. <laughs> 40. Yeah. Uh, so then we get a message over the trauma radio. Speaking of things I did not remember. Speaking of Jesus Christ. (laughs) Zadro says that his partner has been shot. Oh no. I didn't remember this at all. (laughs) Like this with this whole rest of what happens this episode with that completely like took me by surprise. I was like, really? This is a, this seems like the kind of thing you'd remember, but apparently not. Uh, but we, we will circle back to, to Zadro and, and the rest later. Uh, we go from now to, from there to, uh, Kube, uh, turns out her lungs sound good and she is wide awake. Um, Whoa. Mark tells her, uh, you know, what fills her in on what's, <laughs> what's been happening while she's been in a coma. Uh, and, uh, she corrects him and corrects all three of us, uh, except for me for a passing second when I put this out there as like a stupid Daniel theory. Uh, and I shit all over it. That has been now proven right because she says he didn't hurt her, that she tried to kill herself. So some part of my brain was like, you've watched this show before, idiot. Remember, she stabbed herself. <laughs> and I was like, no, stupid part of my brain. Fuck you. I know better. She couldn't. Lauren tells me that it's physically impossible for him for her to have stabbed herself in the chest. Obviously, the giant African man did it. Nope, she did it to herself. <laughs> Don't listen to me. That's the moral. That's of the right. Story. Don't listen yeah. to Lauren. Let's go over to. Let's go back over to Zadro, uh, who brings in his partner for treatment. There's just a gut. There's just a bullet hole through the driver's side Ugh. window of the of the ambulance. Um. And the other, 
the other guy. What's the other guy? Lars, Lars Audia. Yeah, Lars is. Uh, he's very dead. Um, he's spoiler alert. He has a faint pulse. He has a faint pulse, but that man is shot in the face. That, mostly dead. Yeah. Not all dead, but yeah. mostly. That dead. man has a head wound. Um, it's working. They're working on the trauma, and oh hey, it's Benton, and Mark tells Carter to get out because he. They think they were gunning for Carter because they were in the same neighborhood and turned a corner and boom. White guy driving an ambulance. Ran, ran over one of your neighbors just a few hours ago. Like, eh. Yeah. Uh, then we go back to Carrie talking to Kornberg again and she just says kind of, you can't get away from it, can you? He says, yeah, it makes my dad proud and I like to do that. So just, you know, he, he just does it for his dad. He, he's uncomfortable with it for himself, but he does it to make everybody else happy. Um, and Carter tries to scrub in with Anspa and Benton. Benton tries to stop him because the OR is too full. And Anspa tells him that he better watch from the gallery. Good on you, Anspa. Yeah, why the fuck is Carter trying to think think it's okay that he could be in on this surgery? Because he's Carter. <sighs> and at this point, he's just Lord. desperate to try to fix it. Like, he's just... yeah. Well, let's go into let's go into even happier settings in uh, in our next audio clip. Mark checks in on Mobilage. Feeling better? Well, it should help. Talk to Kubi. She woke up and she's doing much better. She also told me that you didn't hurt her. the paramedics showed up flashing lights and the sirens and the pounding on the door that must have scared you yes is that why you ran away why didn't you tell the police why'd you say it was your fault it was my fault what happened to her when I left Nigeria, the soldiers came. They raped her. Because of me. I left her alone. When she told me, I couldn't look at her. I couldn't talk to her. She was alone again. And that's when she took the She took the knife. She needed me. I had left her. She needs you now. Oh, there's a lot going on this episode. That is loaded. Ay, ay, ay. Yeah. I mean, I don't even know where to begin with that, honestly. Yeah, the, the storyline just keeps taking these weird, twisty turns and, like, escalations and deviations. And, and like, it's a storyline that, like, it, it on paper sounds very kind of, like, outlandish and almost unbelievable. And yet the quality of the performances from Jaiman Hansu and, and uh, Akasu Abusha and, and Mark, too. I mean, every really everybody involved in these, the, the story here really sells it like really sells it very well and makes mm-hmm. everything very believable and everything seem very like 
I don't know. Like it just it just works better than I think it has any right to with how kind of out of I mean this this started with him scrubbing the floor in the trauma room and hurting his back. Mm-hmm. And just a cu- within a couple episodes like we we've gotten to here and it's just it has never seemed too far out of the realm of possibility. Yep. Uh, then we go into the surgery. There is an excellent thing here. I don't know if you guys caught it, but there's a nice slip while they're working on Lars where Anspa drops a suction tool or something and Fenton just kind of smoothly kind of pushes it out of the way and picks it up over the body. Mm. And like, it all looks very purposeful. It's during the take, but it's clearly like that somebody just drops it. Like nobody's holding the tool for a minute. Right. So like, if you go back and watch the scene, it's very clear that Anspa just like drops it. Interesting. And it's, it's just, like, chilling out there, and Benton just, they're talking through stuff, and he just, Eric LaSalle just kind of takes it and, like, passes the suction tool over to the nurse as they're all doing stuff, and it just, I, I was really proud I caught it. Um, Shirley tells Carter that she's being sent over to the blood bank, so she can't fill him in on what's going on right now. Uh, Carter is watching, like, a caged animal in the gallery, pacing back and forth, trying to do backseat surgery over the intercom. And then he calls Neuro to the e- to the OR without authorization from Benton or Anspaugh because they're not there yet. Because they don't need to be there yet. They say they'll call when they need them. Mm. But Carter calls anyway. Yep. Uh, and let's go back over to Mobilage. I uh, sitting up with sitting up with Kubi up in the ICU. Um, police have dropped the charges, but because the U.S. is still a hellhole, Mobilage is here illegally. And uh, and uh, the INS will be starting an investigation to start his deportation. Because that makes right, sense. Right, that seems important. That that seems... Yeah. Priorities are well and truly in order here. Like, really? INS, that's who we need to call right now? Nobody, want, nobody yeah. wants to call uh, fucking Nick Fury to come talk to Kube about the v- Avengers Initiative because she's apparently a fucking superhero <laughs> who can stab herself right through the breastbone. Like... Holy shit, somebody like let's let's study her. Like she clearly has some superhuman capabilities that we need to uh we need to harness. We shouldn't be just shipping her off back to Nigeria. Turns out in this universe she's Wolverine. Sure. I mean, Hugh Jackman needs a day off. Why don't we uh why not recast Wolverine? <sighs> uh, also, of note, this is the INS. This is not ICE. Yes. yes, ice. Yeah, which, that's right. Ice doesn't exist. Ice, which yet. should be dismantled yeah. to its very abolish core. ice. Uh, yeah, abolish ice. Thank you. So we go from, back to the surgery. Carter takes the CTs from radiology and tells them uh, where the films show the injuries. Uh, Shirley comes bursting back in uh, as Carter is looking for neurology. Uh, finds out that Neuro's pissed that they were called in too soon. Uh, and then it's at the, about this point where Lars starts crashing, uh, and it's. It's not looking good for old Lars. Derek no. Shepard is very displeased. Uh, we go from there to Jeannie working in the lounge in when uh, Carrie comes in. Uh, she's trying to find the source of her hep C since Al tested negative. Ooh, the plot thickens. Plot thickens. That's right. Um, Carrie tries to get her to go for coffee or something, but again, Jeannie is very much like does not want to be around anybody this episode is pushing everybody away feeling sorry for herself uh, so she turns carrie down and uh let's go to our last audio clip here carol's in the peds room just staring at the rain when elizabeth comes in carol what you doing oh unloading these boxes 
Doug ordered a lot of supplies. Have you spoken with him? Thought about it a lot last night. I ended up calling the Home Shopping Network and ordered myself a pair of fleece booties. So, uh, did Mark manage to strap you down, get a blood gas? Finally talked me into it. It's easier doing that than listening to him. My carbon monoxide level was normal. Oh, well. It was a good guess. Mark's just trying to be a friend in that endearing, slightly inept male kind of way. <laughs> I know. I'm a week late. You're what? At first, I thought it was just stress. But it's not. I'm pregnant. dynamite such a good delivery mm-hmm just, just the laughing <laughs> <laughs> yeah mm -hmm. that is a mood oopsie doodle uh so i would like to address the elephant in the room of everybody who uh, leading up to during and and immediately after doug's departure who all said that how much they hated the uh character development that they had doug leave while she was pregnant Fuck all y'all. They don't find that shit out until two episodes after Doug yeah. is gone. And Doug does not mm -hmm. know that she's pregnant when he leaves. So. Boom. Boom. In your face. Also, uh, for some reason, I love that she tells Elizabeth. Yes. I don't know yeah. why, but that just like, that just, I, that just feels right I'm, to me. I'm here for stuff like that. I'm always here for like weird, quirky pairings that don't always make sense. Like, and especially with big moments like this. You know, like if you, if on a trivia thing, if you were like, who would be the first person in the ER cast to find out that Carol was pregnant? Nobody's picking Elizabeth. Like, unless you're like one of those Encyclopedia Brown weird fans of the show who knows every last detail you're, of every yeah. last episode. Nobody's picking Elizabeth out of a hat. You're there. thinking Mark. You're, yeah, Mark, Lydia. Right. You're thinking any number of different. Same thing with like who delivered Reese. Nobody's picking Delamico. Everybody's picking literally any <laughs> fucking body else. So it's like, I love when they do stuff like this, where they just kind of, it seems almost like they picked a character out of a hat to be the one to receive a, a bit of news. <laughs> and it's just, it makes for interesting kind of set dressing. And I like it. Yes. Um, but then we go over bad news. Lars has flatlined and they're all cleaning up after the surgery. And Carter walks in to look at him after, you know, Anspa and Benton are all walking out. And he then turns around and walks out to go share the news. With Lars's partner. Zadro. Yeah, Zadro. I couldn't tell if it was Zadro or not from like the angle that it was at. It kind of didn't look like him, but it is, so. And as you might imagine, this is the last appearance of Lars, <laughs> being that he's dead and everything. Um, and again, I have to mention, this is going to go up there with whose films are those for things I notice too much in these episodes, but God, those ceilings are gross. Yeah, yeah but that's at least appropriate set dressing it because is. it's an underfunded county hospital. But I'm just saying, I just noticed the orange stains on the ceilings in almost every shot that yeah. has them now. This, this angle that. on this uh, closing shot is very low, too, so like mm -hmm. you're looking up almost huge... right at them juicy spot but yeah like this is another like i said earlier like i don't remember this at all i don't remember i, I you know because like th there's a couple of emt i mean this is the first emt we've killed since uh raul back in mm -hmm. season two um so like obviously they've done this a couple of times and they will do it again in the future 
Um, but this is not one that I remember at all. Like I, when this guy first popped up, I think he first pops up in like season early season three ish, uh, around the time Carol's having her flirtation with med school, I think is around the time Lars first popped up. And we mentioned him at the time and it was sort of just like, yeah, you know, I just assumed he would be a Bob. I just assumed he would be another character who would be here for a while and then would just disappear. Um, like so many other EMTs have, uh, this guy, (laughs) this guy got a full death scene. And it's mm-hmm. it's just might as well be a fart in the wind. I don't remember a single frame yeah. of it before I watched it's this. The most anti Bob thing you could possibly do. And yeah. none of us remember it. Weird. Weird how that stuff works. Yeah. But it was a good episode though. I really enjoyed this one. Like there was a lot it had a little bit of an issue with the tonal all over the placeness of it. Which I I feel like that's just kind of ER at this point. I feel like I've been bragging on the show too much about that. Oh, just wait till we get to me. <laughs> yeah, like honestly, it was still a very good episode. I enjoyed watching, enjoyed in air quotes, watching part, uh, most of it. Um, Lauren is looking at me with. <laughs> what, what's like, your the What's smirky, your number? What What's your number rating? I give it an eight out of ten. Okay. But like, just as much as I was horrified by the props work, by the prop work, I wish the landlord would have died. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been the only that would have from, been the only icing on the cake from, from his minor head laceration hey you know what it could have been a brain bleed wow there it is yeah so i i don't yeah i don't find it to be a terribly coherent episode like it it's not an episode that has a lot of like uh perfectly woven threads to it yeah and yet i like all the individual threads that's the thing yeah, like that's exactly. what that's what holds it together yeah. like all the individual threads are pleasant enough that I enjoy myself by the time it's all over with. But in terms of like a coherent story and like telling, uh, you know, beginning, middle and end, they're doing a lot of things in this episode kind of sloppily and yet it still works. But like well, nobody's ever going to accuse this of being like prestige television. Like this is a, this is a yeah. good episode. It's like high quality filler, but like it, it's I don't know, like individually each one of these stories works great in a vacuum but like together they don't exactly gel well because now we're in the weird one of the weirdest parts of the show where we're post Clooney, but we don't have those new characters and to right. round out the we're roster also, quite we're yet. also the late season Dol- yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah, which the, is the already doldrums yeah which is already shaky to begin with but i don't know i liked it lauren uh lauren unleash your fury upon the world it's not fury it's just a 6.5 I mean, that's it's, that's still above college. Me would have been fine with that. I'm just saying, yeah. I'm just saying yeah. 6.5 is harsh from where I've been coming from. And I'm trying to be more honest with myself. Fair. Like you said, the story's great in a vacuum, but it just it tried to do too much. Yeah. It, I feel like if they had if they had like, I don't even know what I would want them to focus more or less on. But it was just it was like I was as we were going through the notes on our on our recording, I was like. God, and we haven't even gotten to this yet, and we haven't even gotten to this yet, yeah. and we haven't even done this yet, and it was just, it was too much. It was, yeah. it's like, it's it's different from those frenetic episodes that I get frustrated with, because God, I have to type so much. This one, I just, I it, it was just, it was, it was too much in general. Like, it just, I, my brain was too full after watching it, and <laughs> yeah, I don't know, I just, it didn't hold me. As much as I enjoyed it, I think they may have gone to the Kornberg well one too many times. Like, I feel like if you were going to make any kind of cuts anywhere to help out other stories, I feel like you could have cut one or two scenes with Kornberg and gone given, given Lucy's thing a little bit more. Um, but even that, I feel like there, 
like there's there's a kernel of a good idea in that story mm-hmm. and i just maybe don't love the way that it's told mm-hmm. um but everything else like-, like the mobilage stuff doesn't seem like it belongs in this episode and yet works right. really well the carol revelation again because part of me was like well just cut carol out of this episode like just give carol another episode to breathe before we start digging into her stuff but then i'm like well no you find out she's pregnant in this episode that's kind of a big deal for her character so like you know maybe you could have given a little more something to that like i don't know like there's i mm. i feel like with the cornberg well if you were going to keep him in longer make him more of an engaging like patient side of things like not just carrie sympathizing with him Mm -hmm. but actually like having stuff going on if you're gonna go back to him or like i feel like you had enough going on that you could almost i don't know how you would change the fong storyline but that honestly was the one that kind of was the least engaging to me but with that we wouldn't have had doyle at all so true um, very true yeah but uh, yeah you're right though if there's any if there's any one of these threads that you could have clipped out and put into a different episode not saying get rid of it entirely but just take it out and place it somewhere else give give genie stuff more room to breathe yeah give the actual impact of what happened with carter more room to breathe give you know there's so many things that could have had a little more room give carol a little more room to breathe even if we still don't find out till the end of the episode just like have a little more stuff there. Yeah, but. I feel I do sort of feel like I mean, obviously we knew because we we watched it before, but like I do sort of feel like the audience probably would have gotten there before it was like I don't think we needed the whole episode to wonder what was going on with Carol. Like Doug just left. We knew they'd been trying to have a kid. She's like, oh, I'm having headaches all the time, and I'm like bloated and whatever. Like you know, like mm-hmm. I like I feel like the audience got there before Carol did. And so that, that that could have been done differently, I think. But I don't know. What do the listeners have to say? The listeners had to say, Carly M says, this was one of my favorite episodes. I loved how awesome Malik was in this episode. I loved how he would try to talk all tough and then got spun around as a joke. Carrie's face was hilarious. Mary Alice has loved the gentle giant wrestler and his sweet pop slash agent. I remember Marvin Kaplan from the show Alice. A definite, hey, it's that guy. And at Baker Basic on Twitter says, I liked this episode, though the family and Lucy's story just made me a bit angry. I like how they didn't just forget Doug's exit and had some of the more emotional side with Carol still processing it. And we also find out she's pregnant in a really really sweet friendship moment with Elizabeth. Also, I'm pretty sure Carol says to Mark, stop treating me like I have a tumor, which, yeah, I'll just leave that here and we can revisit this in two seasons. (laughs) I, yeah, we, we got kind of our usual amount of listener responses th- for this episode, but I will say the vast majority of them were basically just like, I liked this episode, or this was a good episode, or like it was very right. like, th- this was, <laughs> as they would say, a perfectly cromulent episode. Like no one yes. no one had much in the way of big thoughts to say about it, so. It wasn't really a big thought episode. Yeah. But Carol babies. Anyway, uh, so that's about going to wrap up our episode for today. Thank you all very much for listening. As always, the show is brought to you in part by our patrons over at patreon.com slash podcast. For only $1 a month, you can, get, you can get access to our show notes each week. For only $5 a month, you can get a free sticker featuring our favorite desk clerk, Jerry. As evidenced by this episode, Jerry was a delight this episode. Right. Uh, two-week early access to all of our cast and crew interviews. Bunch more of those in the pipeline. 
uh, and over 25 hours of bonus audio and video content, including the full season recap episodes, a bonus show called The Lounge, where we talk about whatever's going on for us in our lives at the moment, movie reviews, where we talk about a movie featuring an ER cast member, and flash forwards, where we do a commentary track for future ER episodes. We'd also appreciate it if you would follow us on our social media accounts. We are at Set the Tone ER on Twitter. We are on Facebook at facebook.com slash Setting the Tone Podcast. And we are at Setting the Tone Podcast on Instagram. Also, be sure to check out the official Setting the Tone community on Facebook. Our theme music is provided to us by Andrew M. Edwards and Daniel. Where can folks find you at? They can find me on Instagram at dan.u. That is Y-O-U dot E-L. They can also find me on my other podcast, The Popular Court, with my co-host Jake Terrell, where we do a different pop culture topic each episode and put it through a little mock trial. And Lauren, where can folks find you at? Folks can find me on my personal Twitter, complaining at lowbob92345. She does she does that a lot. <laughs> She's giving me the finger, as I deserve. You can also find me on Twitter. I'm at randomgamer, that's J-A-M-3-R, as well as on the Popular Quartz YouTube channel, doing a Let's Play of Mass Effect 2. New episodes of that are out every Friday, and you can find those videos and much, 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 much more at youtube.com slash thepopularcourt. Thanks again, everyone, very much for listening. Please join us again next time, and have a great week. Bye.